This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, November 4th. I'm John Dickerson, and this is Face the Nation. With just two more days until the crucial midterm elections, we're in CBS News election headquarters in New York. You get a vote, and you get a vote, and Candidates are relying on star power in the final push till election day. But I know... The most visible reality star isn't on the ballot, but is campaigning like he is. According to the White House, President Trump will have campaigned in 53 rallies in 23 states by Election Day for Republican candidates. We need people to get off the sidelines. We need people who are with us and with this president. Republican candidates are embracing the president and the strong economy. But those hoping to attract independence are concerned President Trump's campaign of fear and divisiveness will backfire. A blue wave would equal a crime wave. Very simple. It's a strategy that's prompted a former president to publicly push back. What we have not seen the way we're seeing right now is politicians just blatantly, repeatedly, boldly, shamelessly lie. We'll have a new CBS News Battleground Tracker previewing where the race for the House stands and tell you what to look for on Election Day. Plus, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo will join us to preview the administration's plan for resuming sanctions on Iran. We'll hear from Democratic Senator Mark Warner about what Democrats are hoping for going into the election. And Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel will also be here. We'll have plenty of political analysis all ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We are going to get right to it. Our big story today, what's going to happen in Tuesday's midterm election? For that, we turn to CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto. Anthony, one of the busiest men in the building right now. <laughs> Let's start. You've done a survey of the House races. What does it show? Yeah, we have been tracking race by race across all 435, especially in the competitive districts. The Democrats go into Tuesday in position to take control even if narrowly. So right now they would get to 225. And that's just a few seats over the 218 that they would need to win. There's a margin of error on that estimate. And that leaves a very plausible scenario in which Republicans retain control of the House. The story on that is not just statistical, it's political. It's what happens if the Democrats don't get the turnout that they need and they don't get enough crossover voting. Let's go to those two scenarios. First scenario is the one where Democratic hopes are dashed. They don't get to the they don't take the 23 seats away from Republicans. What has happened if that is the outcome on Tuesday? The Democrats are relying on this kind of cocktail, which are a heavy amount of turnout, new voters, people who haven't shown up in midterms before with a dash of persuasion. And that's a few. It's less than one in 10 people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 going over and voting for a Democrat for the House this year. If most of them come back to the Republican Party, the Republicans hold the House, the Democrats fall short. And if Republicans hold the House, Democrats will need a cocktail. Let's go now to the outcome where Democrats have a big night. What has then happened in the electorate for that to happen? Well, they've gotten that turnout, and some of the early voting indicates that they might. And then they've gotten more independents to swing over towards them. Remember, they're aiming at some of that crossover and persuading some more independents. If that happens, then they get up into the 230s, 232 in our best estimate 
on that big night for the Democrats. But in either case, it'll probably be a late night, John, before we know. And finally, as if we didn't have enough complexity, there is some sense the weather might play a role on Tuesday. What do you, what do you know? Well, when we talk about turnout, it means that people might have to stand out there in some tough conditions. It looks like the weather forecast across the Midwest is pretty tough. It looks like there are severe storms down across even into Virginia and the, the mid-Atlantic there. So we'll see a lot of those states don't early vote. Some of them, they, had, they need uh, election day turnout. So that could be a factor. Oh, wow. Okay. Anthony, we'll see you later in the broadcast. Thank you. We turn now to Virginia Democratic Senator Mark Warner. Today, he's in Withville, Virginia, getting ready to go canvas for Democrats in Virginia, including his colleague, Tim Kaine. Good morning, Senator. You're going to be knocking on doors. What Good is morning, your pitch? Man. Well, my pitch is this election, people need to get out and vote. If they are concerned about what's going on in Washington, if they're concerned about a president that doesn't act very presidential when we see moments of crisis over the last few weeks, they need to have their votes counted. And frankly, even folks who may agree that the economy is going pretty good, I think many, many people realize we need a check on this president. And we've seen evidence of that in the last three weeks when this president was not able to bring the country together after the shootings or the bombing attempts. We saw it when the president, you know, kind of randomly said that he could override the Constitution with a stroke of a pen. People know that we have rule of law in this country. And then in the last couple of days where he said that he's going to take 15,000 of our military troops, take them out of Iraq and Afghanistan, no plan, move them to the border, and then allow those troops to fire on kids who might be throwing stones. But that's pretty remarkable. I think, again, this president, just one last point, John, I don't think he understands that words matter. In the last 48 hours in Nigeria, troops shot on students throwing rocks, and they, set, they turned to President Trump's words as a vindication. Well, let me come back here at home. The jobs report on Friday sure. was even better than forecasters expected. Employers added 250,000 jobs. Unemployment rate is 3.7. Wages grew 3.1%. They haven't been doing that. If we f focus on the James Carville m maxim, it's the economy, stupid. You named a couple, uh, a lot of things, but uh, the economy is strong. Why should people want to change course? Accepting uh, all the things you said, why would they want to change course with the economy humming like this? Because I think one thing people realize is that we're, in a sense, riding a sugar high from a $2 trillion tax cut that was unpaid for. Now, the economy's doing pretty well right now. I grant that. I think the hangover's going to be pretty bad as we go into next year, but we can debate that later. What I think people are concerned about is they're concerned about this president that, frankly, even if you agree that the economy is going well, that we need to have some level of check on him. The founders set up a system of checks and balance. We got a president in Donald but, Trump that but, is totally unchecked at this point. And rule of law and, frankly, America's standing in the world is being undermined. I want to ask you about election security, but quickly on the Intelligence Committee report, your own report, do you think that's going to come out before the end of the year? That's my hope. We've still got a number of individuals that we have to see, many of the ones who frankly pled already out with Mueller. We need to see some of these are principles. But I want this to be done because at the end of the day, the American public needs to know not only what happened in 2016 in terms of Russian interference, but how we're better prepared to make sure it never happens again. On this election security question, how secure uh, will the elections be on Tuesday? Well, John, I think we've made great progress particularly at the individual polling stations and in the tabulation of votes. Uh, so I think people should go out and vote with confidence. I am concerned that this White House, though, has frankly held back. Uh, we've got a broadly based bipartisan election security bill that I think would have gotten 90 votes in the Senate that would have made sure that every polling station had a paper ballot uh, to audit after the fact if there was ever any kind of intervention. And unfortunately, the White House uh, stopped that legislation. Are you expecting any kind of an attack on Tuesday? What would that even look like? And is the U.S. in a position to respond? I think we are much better. DHS has been work doing a very good job in terms of working with individual election registrars. The fact that we have a federal, state, and local circumstance in election meetings, it's, these are lots of different lines of uh, uh, control, but there is a good cooperative relationship. I think it would have been better 
if in the aftermath of 2016, this White House, after that kind of attack, would have um, actually appointed someone in charge of election security. Uh, unfortunately, Mr. Trump has not done that. Matter of fact, he even eliminated the position of cybersecurity at the White House, which I think is a, a totally wrong move, because where we're potentially vulnerable is the ability of Russia or some other foreign actor to either break into some of the voter files at the, at the kind of at the national level or at the vendor level. And then also what I'm more concerned about is a flood of fake accounts or fake manipulation um, through social media where, again, we've made some progress, but the companies have not moved as far as they need to move. Finally, Senator, quickly, you received a briefing this week on the murder of columnist Jamal Khashoggi. Following that, you said there's enough evidence for Congress to act, even if the president doesn't. What kind of action are you expecting Congress to take? Well, first of all, John, I've not received that full briefing. The whole gang of eight will. But I believe that it is that the evidence that the Turks have pointed out that Khashoggi was brutally murdered uh, in the Saudi consulate. And frankly, John, I don't think under President Reagan, under President Bush or Obama or Clinton, that any so-called ally would have taken that kind of action because they know America at that point stood for a free press and human rights. Again, the president's words matter. And um, I think that you're seeing our so-called allies take pretty unusual actions. I think Congress will act, whether it's cut back on arms sales, whether it's looking in terms of some of our nuclear accords, I do think there is an opportunity here, and I commend Secretary Pompeo and Mattis for trying to urge the Saudi Arabians to end this brutal war in Yemen. Um, and if there's an opportunity in this moment to get that done, that would be a step forward. All right. Senator Warner, we thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, John. And we'll be back in a moment. Stay with us. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. We want to go now to the State Department Diplomatic Room in Washington and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. Mr. Secretary, I want to start with the sanctions that will be reimposed this week on Iran. A number of European countries do business with Iran. The president had formally said anyone doing business with Iran will not be doing business with the United States. So can European allies expect they will not be doing business with the United States? Well, John, good morning. Uh, that's right. Uh, the European companies will not be permitted to do business with both the United States and with Iran. Uh, frankly, since May, since the president's announcement of withdrawal from the uh, ill-fated uh, agreement, uh, European companies have fled Iran in great numbers. Uh, hundreds of businesses have departed Iran. Uh, the whole world understands that these sanctions are real, uh, that they are important, that they drive uh, the Iranian people's opportunity uh, to make the changes in Iran uh, that they so desperately want and uh, stop Iran from having the wealth and money that they need to continue to foment terror around the world. But it's the companies that won't be doing business, not the countries themselves. In other words, they won't be punished if any company doing business in Iran, the country won't be punished. Uh, that's right. These, these sanctions apply to those who conduct sanctionable transactions. Uh, the Treasury has a set of sanctions. The State Department um, has its own set of sanctions. And those will all come back into place uh, on Monday of this week. And they'll be the toughest sanctions ever placed against the Islamic Republic of Iran. The president put out a poster of himself and said sanctions are coming. What was that about? Yeah, he was putting the world on notice that uh, the terror regime, uh, which threatens Israel through Iranian funding of Lebanese Hezbollah, that the terror regime that attempted to conduct an assassination in Denmark over the past few weeks, that the terror regime that continues to fund the Houthis, launching missiles into Riyadh and into Dubai, uh, that's going to stop. Uh, that behavior must change, and sanctions from the United States will be reimposed uh, at midnight tonight. 
What if they restart their nuclear program in Iran? Uh, we're confident that the Iranians will not make that decision. Let me ask you a question about North Korea. You have talks this week. North Korea is saying they might restart their nuclear program if the U.S. Uh, does not start lifting sanctions. Is it still the U.S. position that North Korea will not see any economic sanctions lift until there is complete denuclearization? So, John, I will. I'll be in New York City uh, at the end of this week meeting with my counterpart, Kim Young-chol. I expect we'll make some real progress, including an effort to make sure that the summit uh, between our two leaders can take place where we can make substantial steps towards denuclearization. John, we have to remember, and the American people need to remember, uh, the North Koreans haven't launched a missile, haven't conducted a nuclear test. They allowed the return of American remains. We've had success in just a handful of months since this past June, and we continue to make good progress. I'm confident that we'll advance the ball again this week uh, when I'm but in New York City. Mr. Secretary, you said that, that North Korea will not see any economic sanctions lifted until it has demonstrated complete denuclearization. Is that still your position? It is not only complete denuclearization, but our capacity to verify that that has taken place okay. is also a prerequisite to lifting economic sanctions. Let me ask you about the, the caravan at the U.S. southern border. General Colin Powell said, I see no threat requiring that this kind of deployment. He's referring there to the deployment of troops from the Pentagon. Uh, retired General Martin Dempsey said it was a wasteful deployment of overstretched soldiers and Marines. What's your response? It's a problem that's gone on too long. President Trump is determined to ensure that we have sovereignty of America at our southern border and that we protect our American border. Uh, as a Secretary of State, I, I've been very involved in working with the governments in Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, and certainly the government of Mexico. And I've also had the chance to speak with the incoming government that is now 26 days out from taking power in Mexico. We've made clear to them they need to undertake every effort that they can to stop this illegal migration from entering the United States. And the president's made very clear they will not be permitted to enter our country unlawfully. If they want to come charge. here legally, if they want to come here lawfully, um, that's, that's the American tradition. It's the American way. We continue to be the most generous nation in the world with respect to immigration. But, but illegal immigration will not be permitted. The charge here, uh, Mr. Secretary, is that the president is thinking about this in political terms, and that's why he's done this deployment, all of this rhetoric this week. Do you think he thinks about it in political terms, this caravan, and how it might benefit the Republicans? I've been involved in scores of conversations about stopping illegal immigration from Mexico, and never once has there been a discussion of the political impact in U.S. domestic politics. It has then, always Mr. been Secretary? about securing the safety of the American people and securing our southern border. So if that's never happened, why then did the president in a rally said, speaking about the caravan, did they energize our base or what? The president has been trying diligently to get our foolish immigration laws changed since he took office. He talked about this in his campaign. Many of the challenges we face today with illegal immigration are because we have a set of rules, a set of laws that don't allow us to fully secure that southern border. The president is working through the proper process, the Constitution political process, to make those changes to the laws. And he is very hopeful, I think, that when uh, Congress returns in January, there will be a Congress prepared to support his efforts to but secure our southern agree, border. That's completely you, appropriate. You would agree that the president thinks this is a benefit for his base, which he says has been energized by this caravan and his response to it. So it seems like he does see it as a political benefit. As a Secretary of State, I want to talk about American national security. We are determined to secure the southern border, John. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll take that uh, lack of a response as a yes. Final question, Mr. Secretary, is on Saudi Arabia. You, you are waiting for more investigation on the death of columnist Jamal Khashoggi. What more needs to be answered? I still have uh, lots of work to do to figure out the full range of persons that need to be held accountable. We're working with the Turkish government, with the Saudi government, and with anyone else who has relevant facts for us to be able to determine all of those who were responsible for this atrocious murder of Jamal Khashoggi, which the Saudis themselves now acknowledge was premeditated. Uh, we need to get to the bottom of it. We need to find out who was responsible, hold them accountable, and do all of this, John, while protecting the enormously important strategic interest that the United States maintains with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. We, be we began our conversation about Iran. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia has been an important partner for the United States in attempting to change the behavior of the world's largest state sponsor of terror from that Islamic Republic. Very briefly, is it still possible that the Crown Prince could be involved in this? We're going to chase the facts wherever they go, All right. and we're going to hold accountable each of those who we find responsible. 
Mr. Secretary, we're very grateful. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, John. Have a good day. And we'll be back in a moment. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to a sleep number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a sleep number bed. Sleep number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We turn now to the head of the Republican National Committee, Ronna McDaniel, who joins us this morning from RNC headquarters in Washington. Welcome, Madam Chairman. The Republicans, I know you think, are going to have a good day on Tuesday. So if they do, why will they have had a good day? Well, it's about the results. And we just saw on Friday the great job numbers that 250,000 jobs were added to the economy. On average, in 2018, we've added 218,000 jobs a month. That wages grew over 3% for the first time in a decade. And we've delivered on, on things that we've ran on, taking on the opioid crisis, funding our military, taking care of our veterans. So we have a record of results, and the Democrats have a record of resistance and obstruction, and they're not putting forward uh, ideas or a vision for this country. So I think that's why voters, when they go to the polls, are going to put Republicans back in the majority. Included in the list you just gave there was not what the president has been focused on in an ad that he released this week that uh, had in it a Mexican cop killer. What did you, what was the message of that ad? Well, I think the point is the president's a problem solver, and we have this caravan headed towards our country. We have an immigration policy that is not working for our country, and it's time for for once and for all for Democrats and Republicans to work together to solve uh, our immigration problem. And we need comprehensive immigration reform. The president is leading on this issue. We haven't heard anything from the Democrats, and I think that ad, along with the issues at the border that we're seeing with these caravans continuing to grow with uh, asylum claims up 1,700% in the past eight years. We have an issue, and we have to solve it. And the pro- president's a problem solver. He takes on issues. He doesn't kick them down the road. That was not the message that pe- members of your own party took from that ad. Let me quote just a few. Senator Jeff Flake called it sickening. The former Republican chairman of uh, Florida said the president, by running this ad, was a despicable divider. John Kasich, Ohio governor, said all Americans should reject this ad and its motives. So as Republican chair, are you proud of that ad? I think it's disgusting what this man did, that he came into our country illegally twice, that he wasn't deported and and prevented from ever coming back to this country, and he killed two police. Uh, This is one instance. It is something that should alarm every American. We do not want to see this continue. We know that the vast majority of the people coming to this country are seeking economic opportunity. But we have a system that has failed, that this criminal came into our country twice and was able to kill police. And that is what is sickening and disgusting to me. And that's what everybody should be focusing on. How do we prevent this from happening again? The president's putting forward uh, an immigration plan saying, let's get rid of the visa lottery. Let's get rid of chain migration. Let's focus on merit-based immigration. And let's strengthen our borders. Where are the Democrats? They've been silent on this caravan. We need a a comprehensive immigration reform. So I just don't want to mistake what you said, though. So uh, you didn't mention whether you were proud or not of the ad. You've got Republicans in your own party saying it's sickening, seeks to characterize a whole group of people by the disgusting, awful actions of one. And so I just want to, from a moral point, as the chair of the party, I disagree with their assessment. I just, okay. Yeah. 
Okay. I disagree with that assessment. I think the ad is highlighting the fact that one individual got through the cracks and killed cops. That should make every American upset, and we need to fix our immigration system, and the president's leading the way, just like he has with deregulation and tax cuts and all the things that have gotten our economy humming, because that's why Americans put a businessman in the White House. They wanted a problem solver. They wanted somebody who got things done at a quicker pace than the regular Washington bureaucracy. And once again, he's tackling a tough issue, and Democrats are nowhere to be found. Okay, Madam Chairwoman, that's all the time we have. Uh, Be sure to join us Tuesday on CBS for CBS News campaign coverage. CBS and we'll begin our coverage at 5 p.m. Eastern. CBS News primetime coverage begins at 8 p.m. Stay with us. We'll have Ed O'Keefe, our political correspondent, Amy Walter of the Cook Political Report, and, of course, Anthony Salvanto will be here with the Battleground Tracker poll numbers. Anthony, give us a taste. The top line number in the House you think will be what based on the survey as it looks now? 225D. 225 225 Democrats, Democrats. which means they would have control of the House if it works out that way. By a narrow margin. By a narrow margin. Ed, do you think, what's your assessment of that? Uh, that, that, It it seems to be heading in that direction, but it is going to be close. You've said it repeatedly for months. As long as Democrats turn out people who don't normally vote in midterm elections, they can do it. They don't show up, they're going to come up short. Right. Same thing. Although what we notice is the closest races, Anthony looks at a lot of these, they tend to break all one way at the very end. So we could see a big wave for a very few number of seats. All right. We're going to talk a lot more about the wave, its size and its color. So stay with us. Don't go away. We'll have a lot more Face the Nation coming right up. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time, and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 World's Most Ethical Companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love. Or visit www.pacificlife.com. Welcome back to Face the Nation from CBS News Election Headquarters in New York for a look at the political landscape in these final two days. We'd like to welcome Amy Walter, Ed O'Keefe, and Anthony Salvanto. Anthony, let's start with you. Okay, so we've talked about this 225 for Democrats. So what else inside those numbers? Let's talk first about, say, young voters, right? So this is an important part of the Democratic coalition. What are your numbers showing about their participation and also your survey numbers, but also what we've learned from the early vote? Well, what we've learned from the early vote is that it has gotten younger compared to past midterms. Question will be, is it young enough? And that so far seems like it is not yet young enough. So there will be some factor in turnout coming into Election Day. Look, big picture. In the polling, the Democrats are highly dependent on people who say that they have not voted in midterms before. And that's going to be about 20% of their vote if those polls are borne out on Election Day. If those folks don't show up, we've rerun the models, and the Republicans hold the House. The Republicans, you know, hold the House. Dems only get to 215, a little gain, but not close enough. Amy, there's been a lot of showing up going on. It's not just on Election Day, not just with early vote, but there's been checks written by people. There have been uh, special elections. So how do you see the electorate shaping up based on that longer history? Well, That longer history is what brought Democrats to this moment. Their enthusiasm gap that they had for much of 2017 and 2018 allowed them to do the following things. One, they got a lot of candidates who announced that they were going to run for Congress in places they've never competed in before. So they expanded the playing field from what looked like early in 2017, it was going to be 25 or 30 seats to about 60 seats now that Republicans hold where Democrats are competitive. And the second thing, and this is very important now, of course, is the money. I have never seen so much money going to House 
candidates. And it is going to those candidates directly. It's not just the campaign committees or the big names that are getting these dollars. These, these are candidates who, two years ago, never thought they were going to run for Congress. And now they're sitting on three, four million dollar war chests. That has kept Democrats not just competitive in some of these places, but in many places, they're out raising and they're running more ads than the Republicans who are the incumbents. That doesn't happen in a normal election. And as I know from reading uh, Amy Walter, is that in the last <laughs> quarter of fundraising, 112 Republican-held seats, Democrats outraised them, That's which right. means it's broad. That's right. And it's Amazing. keeping them in the game in a lot of these places where, quite frankly, looking at the numbers, they probably would have been knocked out. Democrats would have. Uh, because these districts are not easy. They're Republican-leaning districts. So uh, they're Republican-leaning districts. They're Republicans hold them. Incumbents have an advantage on Election Day. So what's holding the Republicans together? Well, uh, I think about the people I talked to on Friday in Indiana with the president. You ask them, what is this election about? An open-ended question. Leave it up to them. Every single person in line I talked to said immigration. They're concerned about this caravan that's coming and security issues generally. And, and, and a caravan that's 800 miles that's away. That's more than still. 800 miles yeah. away and that is mostly women and children. And, you know, if it's not that, it's just security generally and how the identity and the fabric of the country may change as people like that are allowed to get in. Um, but I, you know, you talk to Democrats. And, and when I was in Wisconsin, talked to a woman uh, who's devoted hours of her time to manning an office in Milwaukee. And I said, why do you do this? And she says, well, it's very simple. I want to protect my Obamacare. You go down to Waukesha County a few miles away and you talk to a Republican woman doing the exact same thing. And Valerie told me it's because I want to be proud of my country again. So, again, issues of identity and security for Republicans, domestic issues of concern like health care for Democrats across the country. Oh, can I also jump in on demographics and Anthony can jump in with me, too. You're right that Democrats have, you know, that always have this demographic aspiration that doesn't necessarily turn up at the polls. Right. But Republicans have a demographic challenge in midterms, too, which is the base for Donald Trump are, yes, they're older and whiter, but uh, they tend not to have higher levels of education. And those voters also don't tend to show up in a midterm election year. So what Trump is doing right now in ginning up the base, we talk a lot about who he needs to get out to vote. It's those voters who he had turnout for him in 2016 who most likely would sit out a midterm election. Well, Anthony, let me build on this, but let me add one more thing to it, which is there are those who wear the red uh, Make America Great hats again. They go to the rallies. They show up in force. There was a part of the Republican coalition in 2016, though, who said, not quite so sure about Donald Trump, but I really don't like Hillary Clinton. And that, that helped motivate their Republican vote. Where are those voters in this in this uh, question on Tuesday. And that's where, to the extent there is crossover, that's where it's coming from. We have seen, we have talked about all fall, these voters who say the economy is good, give the president credit for the economy, and yet say they are unsatisfied with the direction of the country. That's a surprising split, and they are trending towards the Democrats. And, you know, again, the, the picture of these districts, when we get to election night and we start talking about this place, that place, they're going to be suburban districts. There's going to be an argument going on about what the Republican Party looks like now. These districts were carved out for the Republicans of 10 years ago. But the Republican Party since then has gotten a little less diverse in terms of demographics, a little bit more rural and a little bit more working class. Do they still fit into these districts? Can they still win them? It's going to be in a sort of an overarching theme on election night. In a, a fact that was in a Harris poll this week I found interesting. They asked Republicans, do you consider yourself to be more a supporter of Donald Trump or more a supporter of the Republican Party? Forty six percent said Donald Trump. Uh, the party and Chairwoman McDaniel won't have liked this is just at 25 yeah. percent. So this is Donald this Trump's is party. This is Donald Trump's party in his election. And, and you have to remark about just how amazing it is that we've gotten to this point. If we go back to 2015 and look at Donald Trump's favorable ratings among Republicans in 2015, it was something around 40 percent. Now he has, in the last Gallup poll, I think an 89% approval rating from Republicans. That's what makes this election also so different from traditional midterms is that normally what happens in a midterm, the party that's in the White House, less motivated to turn out than the party out. They're not as excited about their candidate as they were in the presidential. This year, Republicans are united around him in a way we didn't see with Obama in 2010. And they're more motivated to vote than, say, Republicans were in 2006. And not only is the president on the ballot, which is to say on voters' minds, in larger numbers than typical in midterms, but the number saying they want to support him 
is larger than it's been in typical midterms. Often the opposition number outweighs the four number in terms of is the president a factor in your vote? Ed, uh, women, okay, both on the ballot and as voters, what's your take of what we should think, be looking for on Tuesday? I think either way we're going to see more women elected into Congress, which actually changes the governing dynamic come January. You may see as many as, I think, 26 women elected to the Senate. That would be a record high. Uh, you'll see an increase certainly in the Democratic ranks. But based on projections right now, there's a good chance that the number of House Republican women will be so depleted uh, that they're down to, like, Two hands, basically, uh, which is an embarrassing low in a year where so many women are anticipated to vote, not only in the suburbs, but really all across the country. All right. Thanks very much, Ed. Amy's going to stick with us. Anthony, uh, you'll be just at the table from now until <laughs> Thursday or something, I think. Anyway, don't go away. We'll be right back with our political panel. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use, which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit Noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. And we're back with our political panel. Amy Walter is with the Cook Political Report. Ben Dominich is the publisher of The Federalist. Shauna Thomas is the Washington Bureau Chief at Vice News. And Nancy Cordes is our CBS News Chief Congressional Correspondent. She spent most of the week in Florida and Georgia on the campaign trail. We're glad to have you in one place for us here, (laughs) Nancy. Um, Ben, I want to start with you. The chairwoman of the Republican Party did not want to touch that ad run by the president's uh, campaign with a 20-foot pole. (laughs) Um, So that's one thing which you can address, but also it represents two closing messages here. Mm -hmm. Um, Chairwoman McDaniel wants to talk about the economy and the strong numbers. The president wants to talk about something else. You know, it's really telling that this is the closing weekend of uh, campaign season the president just got all these great numbers in terms of the economic reports that came out. We have wage growth that we haven't seen in you know, more than a decade in terms of the experience of the American uh, uh, economy. And yet that doesn't seem to be the thing that he wants to talk about at all. It's not the thing that Republicans are really talking about. This is an election that for them is a base election. And, and what they know is that, that what gets their base out there and excited and uh, ramped up is questions of security, questions of toughness, yeah. questions of law and order, and not, hey, you've got 3.1% wage growth. Right. Don't you have the same exact problem on the other side, which is when you hear an ad like that, when you hear some of the things the president says, people who are black, Hispanic are saying, this sounds a little bit racist to me. And that can gin people up on the Democratic side, too. And not only that, you had Republicans saying, this sounds racist to me. So it wasn't even, I mean, it was extraordinary to see so many Republicans come out and just straight up say this was a racist appeal. Nancy, you've been, uh, sorry, I'm used to having Anthony to my left, (laughs) Nancy. Um, You've been out there. We shape this race in a lot of ways, but but out in the in the real world, um, what are you seeing? How much are Democrats being talking about health care and not taking the bait on some of these values issues or what just what, what are you seeing? Healthcare is huge. In fact, uh, over the course of this election, Democrats have spent about 90 million dollars on ads about health care. They think that this is the winning issue. Obamacare is much more popular now than it was even a few years ago. At this point, everyone knows someone with a pre-existing condition who is getting coverage because of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Everyone watched Republicans fumble this issue last year when suddenly they had the opportunity to come up with a plan uh, that was panned by most health care groups, and people are worried about protections for people with pre-existing conditions going away. Democrats believe that that is going to be a motivating factor for enough voters, and some of the polling bears that out. 
Shauna, there's the Democrats have shown a, a remarkable, um, I think of Will Rogers' line, I'm, a, I'm not a member of an organized party, I'm a Democrat, <laughs> shown amazing discipline and sticking to the health care message despite the efforts by the president and the press to pull them on to something else. Do you see it that way? I see it a little bit that way. I think one of the things that's been interesting to me is I was in Idaho, which is not a bastion of Democratic politics, I understand, last week. But Medicaid expansion is on the ballot. Yeah. And even with conservatives, they seem to be going in the direction of voting for entrenching Obamacare within Idaho. Um, and while that doesn't mean like there will suddenly be a Democratic governor of Idaho, that does mean there's something to that health care message that speaks to a lot of people. And Democrats know that. And some in, in some of these swing districts, that could help them turn some of the Republicans their way, possibly. And it's also why the issue about the economy and the tax cuts isn't getting as much traction, not just from the president, but even in some of these congressional races, because what you hear from voters a lot is, that's great, maybe have a little more money, but you know what I'm spending it on? My prescription drugs, or I'm spending it on my health care costs. The, the cost of living is going higher than what I'm getting in in my salary or whatever I got from the tax cut. And so it's a very difficult message for Republicans to sort of nuance this discussion about how great the economy is with people who are actually worrying about the most salient thing in their life and the thing they probably spend the most money on other than food, which is their health care. I was down in Florida this week talking to Carlos Corbello, who is in one of these classic swing districts in Florida. He said that he wishes the president would talk more about the economy. I mean, we've got we're at 3.7 percent unemployment. We haven't seen a level that low since Lyndon Johnson. But the president himself admitted this week it's boring to talk about the economy. He'd rather gin people up and talk about immigration. And that is really difficult for a Republican like Curbelo in a swing district. Well, that's why he said that caravan really ginned up our base in mm -hmm. when he was in his rally. Ben, let me, uh, uh, Mike Kaufman, 6th District of Colorado, another one of those tough mm -hmm. seats. Up, uh, he, one of his strategists said, in the last week, the president has behaved like a guy trying to build a permanent political majority in the Ozarks. The purposeful <laughs> provocation on immigration just makes an already grim situation in the suburbs even more difficult. Is this a president running uh, in a kind of Senate, save the Senate strategy, which, but but which hurts in these suburban districts that Shauna was talking about. Absolutely. And I think that that's because the Senate matters more to the president than a lot of these different House members, many of whom he doesn't even know. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a relationship with them. He knows who John Tester is. He knows who Heidi Heitkamp is. He knows who Claire McCaskill is. And he dislikes them. And he wants to see them out. And so that's the reason that he's using the kind of approach that he has. But I think Republicans need to keep in mind, you know, one of the real things we're going to learn in this midterm is how effective the president's strategy is in comparison to the approach that President Obama used. The problem with President Obama was that when he was on the ballot, his team came out, his base came out, they showed up. This is now President Trump trying to figure out whether he can do the same thing uh, uh, you know, in, in an election when he's not on the ballot, which was the same problem that was a real challenge for, during the Obama years for other Democrats. In, in the exit polls in 2010, Democrats did not come out for President Obama to defend him in the way that our polls show that Republicans are coming to defend Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and that's where that low propensity voter that I talked about earlier with Anthony, especially these voters on the Republican side, they came out for Donald Trump, don't traditionally come out. An issue like the economy, that's not going to motivate them get, to get out to vote. On immigration, that's yeah. going to be the issue. The question, though, in my mind, too, is there are sort of these different tiers of yeah. seats that I'm going to be watching on election night. There's the tier that we talk about, those suburban districts, especially those suburban districts that Hillary Clinton carried Northern Virginia suburbs, Philadelphia suburbs. Thankfully, a lot of these are on East Coast time. For those of us <laughs> on the East Coast, we can watch these come in. New Jersey. But there are the districts I'm most interested, actually, are the ones that President Obama carried, but yep. then Trump carried, mm -hmm. right? Those districts, like, for example, in Maine, another East Coast sure, state, too. big. Maine, mm -hmm. too. It's big, big. Has Democratic DNA. This is a la labor stronghold there been voting for Democrats forever, but like so much of working class America moved to Trump in 2016. Where did those voters go in 2018? That's going to tell us, first of all, whether Democrats have a great night or just an okay night, and also what it means about this Trump coalition. Do they show up for, only when Trump's on the ballot, or have they also decided they're not as enamored with Trump in some of these places that have Democratic DNA than in some of the other parts of the country, like the South. And look, let's face it, I mean, Democrats have almost nowhere to go but up. Republicans have a near-historic majority in the House right yeah. now. They picked up yeah. 63 seats back in 2010. Yeah. They added to it after that. So if Democrats don't pick up seats <laughs> on Tuesday right. night, then the party has 
even bigger problems right, yeah. than I thought. And a historic anomaly. Hold this, these thoughts. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more from our panel. And we're back with more from our panel. Shauna, you've been looking at the 25th District in California. Yep. Why? Well, basically, one, Vice News has been following Katie Hill around since February to, like, track how a congressional campaign works. But what's interesting is this is one of those districts that went for Hillary Clinton in 2016, but elected a Republican congressman. It is an incredibly tight race, and it's gotten tighter in the last few weeks. And it doesn't seem like it's because of health care. It doesn't seem like it's because of immigration or race baiting. It seems like it's because there's a gas tax repeal on the ballot. And these are people who live 40, 50 miles from L.A. proper. They vote on their pocketbooks. It's actually kind of standard politics, which I have to admit I was kind of happy to see. Sure, yes, yeah. regular old politics. Exactly, <laughs> your pocketbook and gas. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. Nancy, what are you going to be looking for on Tuesday night? Well, I'm watching for a couple of things. First of all, women. I think that that's going to be really fascinating. I mean, anecdotally, we see that women, particularly educated women, have been uh, turned off by some of the things that President Trump has to say. They were turned off by the Kavanaugh nomination spectacle. Are they really, uh, you know, moving towards the Democratic Party or, you know, do they come home at the end of the day? Um, I, I think for me, another thing is, is is independent voters and whether President Trump really is the kryptonite to independent voters that we've seen in some of the polling recently. Um, and then finally, this split between the House and the Senate. I mean, it's very possible that even if Democrats take control of the House, they could lose a seat or two in the Senate. And what does that mean for the balance of power in Washington and the ability of Congress to get anything done over the next two years? Ben, do you think that Republicans are taking lessons from what the president's doing? And maybe the lessons will all be determined by the final outcome. But let's say Republicans have a better night. What will Republicans see from the president's strategy here at the end? Uh, I mean, you know, what learnings will they take from that going forward? Well, I think that they'll be, uh, frankly, one of the lessons they'll take is that uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't help to sort of shy away from cultural war. I think the president has really, you know, wrapped his arms around the cultural war in America in a way that we haven't seen a politician do before in the modern era. And I think that the lesson that a lot of different Republican politicians are taking away from that is that this is something that they should be eager for. In terms of what I'm kind of going to be looking at, the early on in the in the night, I think we're going to know how big of a wave we're going to see thanks to some of the kind of pairs of seats in some of these early East Coast states. I look at something like Virginia 5 and Virginia 7. If both of those goes, go to Democrats, then that means that we're probably in for a blue tidal wave. Uh, and historically, that is, I think, what we should expect to happen in this, in this election. We should expect it to break in the direction of Democrats and yeah. break in that way significantly. On the flip side, I look at a, a state like Florida and, and anticipating the kind of historical ticket splitting that you've seen there could easily result in a situation where perhaps Rick Scott wins the Senate seat, Andrew Gillum wins the governorship. That's going to be a huge uh, factor in terms of determining things post the next census and everything else that happens uh, in a state that's critical for the presidential year. You've been down in Florida. You see, what, what, what have you noticed in Florida that's different from every other Florida when we're obsessed <laughs> with Florida every other election? Well, we it's have. fascinating to have this marquee race, you know, at the top of the ticket, this governor's race that is driving, you know, that is driving so much. I think Senator Nelson, for example, would be in much worse shape if he didn't have this incredibly dynamic campaigner at the top of the ballot in Andrew Gillum, uh, who's sort of, you know, if, if, if Nelson does win, on Tuesday night, he will have Gillum in part to to thank for that. But I, I'll also be very curious to see, you know, some of the the strategy for Andrew Gillum, for someone like a Stacey Abrams in Georgia, for someone like a Beto O'Rourke in Texas, has to do with change, fundamentally yes. changing the electorate in their states. And they have a lot of confidence that they're doing that. We see some anecdotal signs in early voting that they might be right, but it's so it's it's a peril to read too much yes. into early voting. Um, but that is going to be fascinating as well. At the end of the day, did they manage to really change the electorate in their states, bring out hundreds of thousands of new voters, minority voters, who don't typically vote in midterm elections, let alone presidential elections? And that's going to set the tone for 2020, yeah. uh, quite frankly, because for all the talk about what's, what is the president doing to see if he can get his base out and what lessons are Republicans going to take from this, what lessons are Democrats going to take if they succeed or if they fail about the kind of candidate they need on top of the ticket in 2020. It's the lessons from the culture war that you're talking about, the Republicans learn that embracing that works. If we also see an amazing turnout of minority voters in Florida and Georgia, right. Stacey Abrams, right. 
that Andrew Gillum win, that that shows that that culture war may not be a good thing to embrace come 2020. Mm-hmm. What, what role do you that think the president has played, if at all, President uh, Obama here talking about? I mean, you know what? I I always ask a bunch of Democrats all the time who is the leader of the Democratic Party, and usually the answer I either get is they don't know who the leader of the Democratic Party is or Barack Obama is the leader of the Democratic Party. The guy who's at the top still, the guy who energizes people, is coming out. That reminds people that there is an election. I think that's about the best you can do right now. And what do you make of the Midwest? We had the president doing well there in 2016. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The president did well there in 2016. People said, oh, the Midwest is changing. But now a lot of Republicans are in trouble. You you could absolutely see Scott Walker lose, I think, um, you know, on on Tuesday. I think you could see uh, a lot of difficulty in parts of the Midwest. But back to this culture war point, I think that the fact is you look at a state like Missouri where Claire McCaskill made the calculated judgment to go against Brett Kavanaugh in, in a similar situation to what was facing Joe Manchin, a state where the president is significantly popular, uh, and that's really, frankly, put Josh Hawley back into a position where he could beat her, when before it was a race that looked like it might not might actually be out of reach for Republicans. This is going to be a very interesting night because there's so many different lessons to take away from it. Democrats are going to be able to take a lesson away of, yes, we resisted, yes, we came back, we took back the House after you know uh, having all these uh, years of, of not being able to be in leadership post the Obamacare decision, uh, and then Republicans Republicans are going to, I think, take a lot of lessons away from which senators they are able to replace, if, if any, on the Democratic side. That's going to uh, flow into the decisions they make in 2020, as Amy said, about the nomination battle. And in 1982, Walter Mondale was on the CBS Evening News on election night preparing for his 84 race. So 2020 is going to start right on election night. Yeah. 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 I'm just saying that's what, that's, that's what history tells us. I can't, not me, it's history. Thanks to all of you for being with us. That's it for us today. Thanks for watching. It's goodbye for me, too. Margaret Brennan will be back at the Anchor Desk in Washington next Sunday. She's been focusing on the new member of our Face the Nation team. That's Eamon. I'm John Dickerson. See you tomorrow on CBS This Morning. Thanks so much for watching. Today's guests were Virginia Senator Mark Warner, Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel, and Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.